I do know that 100, 150 years ago, you know, people came to this country and, and they had to provide a living for themselves and their families. There wasn't that Walmart out there or that Target to kind of latch onto and get that job and create this limited income and limited lifestyle. You know, they started their own businesses because they had to have that financial stream. However they did it, they had to feed their families. Over the 20th century, all the corporations where, you know, 95% of the people became employees of someone else, which don't get me wrong, was a great thing. But times are changing now a little bit and we're starting to see a shift of people going back to being into their own business, which I think is a great thing. Hey everybody, I'm Jay and you're listening to the Main Street Entrepreneur Podcast. Entrepreneurship is working, working, working. I don't think we have had a day off in five years. <laughs> Entrepreneurs don't quit at 100%. How can you change footwear? Well, we did. I want 150. I want 200. I'll wake him up at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, I just had a great idea. There were times that I thought, there's no way this is going to work. I got on a plane to show up in somebody's office that wasn't expecting me. Suzanne and I prefer to create a lifestyle rather than rely on someone else to create a lifestyle for us. So I stood there just saying, are you Bob? Are you Bob? Are you Bob? Until Bob showed up. It's an aha moment. I think that's the million dollar question. <laughs> it goes back to the American dream. I got in front of the person who would not pick up my phone call and would not return the thank you notes and would not return the cookie baskets to give me what I needed, which was three minutes of his time. And I left with well over a million dollar purchase order. As you just heard me mention before the intro, my name is Jay Glauser. I quit my last real job around 2010, and for the last six years or so, I've been traveling around, interviewing and filming entrepreneurs, business builders, executives, and employees all over the country and even around the world. You see, my dad, Michael Glauser, has dedicated his life to business. Thank you very much. This is him giving a speech at the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. I am absolutely thrilled to be here tonight to speak with you about my very favorite topic. Uh, I have an incredible passion for entrepreneurship. He plowed through school with a PhD at the age of 27 and immediately started teaching business building in academia. So I took my first job at the University of North Carolina. That's where I was born, by the way. I was teaching in an MBA program, and I was pretty cocky and pretty proud, and I walked into my first MBA class with a lot of bravado, and I wrote my name on the board, you know, Dr. Glauser. I just finished my PhD, and I turned around, and to my shock, I was the youngest person in that class by 10 years. After realizing he was preaching what he had actually never practiced, he decided to take the plunge and try his hand at building his own business. I needed to prove to myself that I could do it. Over the years, he built quite the successful non-fat frozen dessert company with over 80 locations and more than 600 employees. When he eventually sold the company, and when he got tired of playing jazz ball on his computer, you know, one of those early computer games where you trap the little balls into separate sections and eliminate pieces of the board. Well, never mind. Anyway, point being, when he was ready for his next big life adventure, he became an entrepreneurial anthropologist. So now the company was sold, and I had to decide, what am I going to do next? What is my next adventure here in life? So I decided maybe I'll go back to the university and start teaching university students everything that I'd learned. But I looked at all the curriculum uh, at local universities, and I was really pretty discouraged. Uh, what was being taught in universities in the field of entrepreneurship didn't look anything like what I had just done as an entrepreneur. It was academic. It was theoretical. It was based on research little teeny questions. It didn't teach the practices of how you build 
your own company. So I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to travel around the country. I'm going to find the very finest entrepreneurs in every industry. I'm going to interview them and record those interviews. Then I'm going to analyze that data. I'm going to find out what are the common practices for success. He spent the next several years interviewing entrepreneurs, finding out what really makes them tick and how they got started with their own businesses. Then he wrote a book about it and it did pretty well. He became almost obsessed with doing this. So he wrote another one. This phase of his life, after he sold his own company, was all about exploring and digging and teaching and consulting and sharing what he had learned with others. Now, this is where I come in. So after my dad had written a couple books and conducted audio interviews of dozens, if not hundreds of business builders, he knew he found some real world common practices that helped entrepreneurs succeed. This was the same time that YouTube had exploded and online video was becoming the new norm. He had teamed up with a new partner to launch an online training program business, teaching these common practices through the stories of other successful entrepreneurs. After hiring a professional videographer for a couple shoots, they quickly realized that in order to gather the amount of video they needed, it would easily have cost over $100,000. Meanwhile, I had been watching this new business idea develop and at the time had fallen in love with video work as a little side hobby. When I realized the problem they were up against, there was an opportunity to be part of this founding team. They could spend $100,000 farming out video work, or we could spend about $10,000 on new gear and let me take on that role as a founding member. In short, that's exactly what we did, and we were off and running. All right, let's let's get you mic'd up here before you have a seat. So it's not, f you, you're going to ask me questions. So okay, yeah, and then we'll have all this footage, and we can just cut and edit, and we'll put, okay. you know, B-roll footage over. Okay. We need to do edits, and it'll look really good. Good. Okay, Jake, we ready? We're ready. Roll it. Hi, I'm David Nealman, and I'm a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the very first interviews we ever did together, and to this day, it was probably one of the biggest. It was with David Nealman, the founder of JetBlue Airlines, and one of the most successful entrepreneurs in aviation history. You start and just tell, tell us how you got into the travel industry and the airline industry. Well, they say that, you know, sometimes if you have an early, early failure, it's, it's actually better for you, and I had an early failure. Um, you know, I had a little travel company that I'd started. I was at the University of Utah and, and uh, met someone who had some condominiums that were available in Hawaii. And, and so I started renting those with want ads in the newspaper and then, you know, classified ads in the classified ads. And then I uh, uh, started putting it together with Airfare. And next thing you knew, I had a company that was doing $8 million a year and had 20 employees and ended up dropping out of college. And then all of a sudden, the airline I was using to do all that went bankrupt on me overnight, and it just took our company with them. I got to spend the next chapter of my life doing interviews like this. We've interviewed all types of business builders over the years, from founders of billion-dollar companies to people like the street performers of Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco who just want to make a little supplemental income. I'm Brian, and I've been sketching caricatures and portraits at Fisherman's Wharf for 30 years in San Francisco, making my living doing this. <laughs> we collected story after story and we used them to build our little company, mostly creating custom training programs for corporations and curriculum for universities. As time passed, we became concerned with a growing trend in the job market. And let me be very clear on this. Technology is eliminating jobs in almost every industry at an alarming rate and our economy is changing. Now I'm not trying to be an alarmist here. 
And I'm not saying the world is coming to an end by any means. But for years, science fiction writers have talked about humans creating the very machines that come back to hurt us, right? In a way, that's exactly what's happening. Now, I'm not talking about big scary robots like the ones in sci-fi movies, but I am talking about things like the self-checkout lines at grocery stores, and automated storage systems, and robots in assembly lines, Amazon testing delivery drones, and cars that can now drive themselves. Let me put this into perspective with a little example. In 2004, Blockbuster Video was at its peak with nearly 60,000 employees and over 9,000 store locations, and according to Bloomberg, did about $5.9 in revenue that year. Only eight years later, they filed bankruptcy because of the competition of new companies like Redbox and Netflix. According to the Chicago Tribune, in 2015, Redbox had approximately 42,000 machines at over 32,000 locations, yet only 1,000 employees. Compared to Blockbuster, that's more than three and a half times the locations with only 1 60th of the number of employees. In addition, Redbox can't even touch the reach of Netflix now, who, as of January 2016, currently has a market cap of over $40 billion almost double that of CBS, and Netflix is doing it with only about 2,500 employees. The point is this. Throughout history, economic growth and job creation went hand in hand. More growth meant more jobs. Because of technology, large corporations are more efficient than ever before and need fewer and fewer employees for major growth. This is the first time in history that we are ever seeing a decline in jobs while we're seeing an increase in economic growth. Let's go back to that speech at Utah State. Technology is replacing jobs uh, at an accelerated pace in every single industry. You know, I just looked at a study of 21 industries and looked at what's happening due to technology and jobs. And for the first time ever in the history of modern economy, as we get more and more productive, we're not adding more jobs. We're getting more productive and jobs are decreasing. This is the first time this has ever happened. So here's what the research shows. In the last five years, corporations have improved their revenue by 20% uh, per employee. So it was about five years ago, each employee in a large corporation uh, produced about $370,000 of revenue. Five years later, it's now about $425,000 of revenue. So we're becoming more and more efficient with our technology. We need people less. I just visited a plant recently that is building robots for Tesla Motors. And they were very excited to show me these cool robots. You know, they were moving these arms and they were picking up batteries and putting them in these car frames. And I said, this is really cool, but how many jobs will each robot replace? And they said, oh, we're making about 20 to 30 of these for Tesla and each robot will replace 20 employees. Okay, so that's just one example. Uh, the Oxford uh, University Press, uh, their economists predict that almost half of our occupations will be gone in a couple of decades. So that's ha half of today's occupations. Four out of five of us will experience unemployment of a year or more for four or five periods of time during our careers. And future jobs will be part-time, they'll be short-term. We're moving into what I call the gig economy or the project-based economy. What that means is no corporation is going to hire you and keep you employed for your entire career ever and that we need to develop skills where we will be needed by organizations on a short-term basis. Our skills, skills need to add value and contribute value, okay? So that brings us to the ultimate question. What are we gonna do about this? Let's rewind to the voice you heard at the beginning of the program. It's the voice of Dan Marino. No relation to the football player, but he is the owner of the Jackson Hole Buffalo Meat Company out of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I do know that 100, 150 years ago, you know, people came to this country and 
and they had to provide a living for themselves and their families. There wasn't that Walmart out there or that Target to kind of latch onto and get that job and create this limited income and limited lifestyle. You know, they started their own businesses. Dan is exactly right. Over the 20th century, all the corporations were, you know, 95% of the people became employees of someone else, which don't get me wrong, was a great thing. But times are changing now a little bit and we're starting to see a shift of people going back to being into their own business, which I think is a great thing. Ever since the Industrial Revolution, America has truly valued the big corporation. And why shouldn't we? They've created more jobs, paid more taxes, and can be a real positive thing for the economy. And then along comes the tech boom, making these large, scalable companies even more sexy and more desirable because they have ping pong tables and game rooms in their offices and make incredible amounts of money. And then out come the venture capitalists and the angel investors, and all of a sudden, if you don't have a tremendously scalable company with an exit strategy and a 10x return, it's not a quote-unquote viable business model. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with shooting for the stars and building a large company like this. They have amazing stories, they're innovating and shaking up the business world and can be an inspiration to a lot of people. But the numbers show you're almost twice as likely to be drafted into the NFL than you are to create a large publicly traded company in America. So why have we created a business culture that preaches this is the path for success? If that's the case, then what do you call what Dan and his wife Suzanne are doing in Jackson Hole, Wyoming? He's created a business doing something he loves. He lives in the city he's always wanted to live in. He provides for his family with a roof over his head. And in his own words, he doesn't really have to answer to anyone. 25 years I've been pretty much unemployable. If you know what I mean there, I, 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 I'd like to be in my own business. I, I like to, if I want to go golfing in the afternoon, you know, if the, if the store's taken care of, I want to go golfing. Um, so it's, it's a lifestyle thing. And like I said, if I want to get out in the woods, I want to be able to do that rather than have somebody else tell me when I can go do something, where I can go do it. Dan has accomplished exactly that. The thing is, Dan's story is not super unique. We've interviewed hundreds of people doing the same thing all over the country, like Sheila Dietrich of Live Liga, or Chris Washburn of Fazari Bicycles, or Nicole DeBoom of Skirt Sports, or Jeff Wester, Joanne McCall, Omer Orion, Bill Bizick, Benny and Julie Benson, Ryan and Kaylin Shavs, Amy Gardner, Gary Delp, Stephen Sullivan, Alan Lim, Will Lebeda, and many, many more. The list goes on and on. So if technology is currently eliminating jobs across the board and we can no longer rely on these large companies to support ourselves and our families, these small business owners across the country are the perfect role models for taking matters into your own hands and creating a livelihood for yourself. So looking at all this data, uh, I thought last year, I'm going to go out again and interview 100 entrepreneurs. Who should I interview? Who will be most interesting? Who can help us figure out how to deal with this gig economy? You know, who are the people that are going to places where there are no jobs and creating their own jobs and building really neat companies, uh, taking responsibility for their lives? And we found a large group of people in America now that are moving out of larger cities. They're moving to smaller towns. They're moving there for lifestyle. And then they're saying, okay, what am I gonna do now that I'm here? So they wanna improve their lifestyle. They want less traffic, less smog, less pollution, less crime. But there are no jobs in these towns, so they are perfect role models for what we're talking about, right? They can show us how you do it. They are the artisans of America. They are our neighbors that provide a product or service and solve problems in our local communities. They are what you'd consider the little guy of the business world, but they are also responsible for employing over 50% of the American working population. Enter our crazy bicycle tour. So we thought if we go out and interview 100 of these people, that would be, that'd be awesome. 
Then we have this really cool idea, which is just natural. I'm sure you would all think the same thing. Let's do it on bicycles, right? Actually, I've thought for years it'd be fun to ride my bike across America, and I thought, let's marry that goal I have, that dream, with this project, and let's ride our bikes from the West Coast, the ocean in Oregon, to the ocean in Virginia. And that's exactly what we did. Okay, we're rolling, Sean. What are we doing? Good morning. It's, uh, it's the day before the kickoff, the actual, the actual bike ride starts. We're here in Florence, Oregon. So in the summer of 2014, we set off on a cross-country bike tour to interview 100 entrepreneurs in 100 cities across America. This is Sean, one of our business partners at the time. So we left, uh, we left Salt Lake to make our way up to the coast about two, three days ago. And we made our way in the bus all the way to the coast here in Florence, Oregon, where we start riding tomorrow. We spent two months that summer traveling by bicycle from Florence, Oregon to Yorktown, Virginia, interviewing entrepreneurs all along the way. And we had the cameras rolling the entire time. You can watch dozens of these stories of entrepreneurs as well as behind the scenes videos of our journey on the website, themainstreetentrepreneur.com. The fact that we were doing this by bike started gaining some traction in the media. The story was picked up by CNN Money, Inc., Forbes, Fast Company, and Entrepreneur Magazine. It was pretty incredible. But the real purpose behind it all was to gather all this data of what Main Street America was doing to make a successful living, and for my dad, Mike Glauser, to write a book about this oncoming employment shift and what we're going to do about it. He landed a book deal with Entrepreneur Press, and the book is called Main Street Entrepreneur, which is what started this podcast and started the website and started this community that we're building with you, the Main Street Entrepreneurs of America. And we're going to share this information with you in every way we can. The first handful of episodes of this podcast are going to parallel the chapters of Main Street Entrepreneur, giving you sneak peeks into the book and allowing you to hear the voices of these entrepreneurs. You'll hear stories and strategies from the founders of things like hotels and biogas engineering companies and athletic padding manufacturers, software engineers, flower shops, building deconstructors, leather workers, a blacksmith, sporting goods store owners, apparel companies, and again, the list goes on. And the amazing principles and strategies we will discuss apply to every single one of them. We'll dive into how these people are building their dream companies, doing what they love, where they want to live. Stories like this one from Julie Benson. When uh, our daughter was uh, starting school, we, we really took a look around at our environment and our lifestyle, and we didn't like what we were seeing. You know, it was the rat race down there, um, and the rats were winning. And so we just thought, we got to get out of here. And so we, we just wanted a simpler life. So find out what Julie and her husband Benny did to take charge of their own lives when we discuss how entrepreneurs always start with a clear sense of purpose. Next time on the Main Street Entrepreneur Podcast. Entrepreneurship is working, working, working. I don't think we have had a day off in five years. <laughs> Entrepreneurs don't quit at 100%. How can you change footwear? Well, we did. I want 150. I want 200. I'll wake him up at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, I just had a great idea. There were times that I thought, there's no way this is going to work. I got on a plane to show up in somebody's office that wasn't expecting me. Suzanne and I prefer to create a lifestyle rather than rely on someone else to create a lifestyle for us. So I stood there just saying, are you Bob? Are you Bob? Are you Bob? 
Until Bob showed up. It's an aha moment. I think that's the million dollar question. <laughs> it goes back to the American dream. I got in front of the person who would not pick up my phone call and would not return the thank you notes and would not return the cookie baskets to give me what I needed, which was three minutes of his time. And I left with well over a million dollar purchase order.